0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins and I am coming to you from Chengdu, Sichuan, China, which is the best place to live in China. It's got an excellent metropolitan area and it's very close to some glorious nature. Uh, When it comes to mountains, I've never seen anything of the like, uh, just even going a few hours west of Chengdu. And today, Is a gloriously sunny day, which is a very rare thing. Chengdu actually has more cloudy days than London. So I'm bringing up pretty much the only thing (laughs) that is of significant negative in my mind uh, related to Chengdu um, right off the bat, but there's so much that makes it worth it. But it's actually kind of interesting why Chengdu is so cloudy every day. So uh, Chengdu is not quite in the center, but in a big in a big part of the Sichuan basin and uh in chinese a basin is called a pen di. pen is like a um it could be used in a lot of different contexts for example uh the a pen is kind of a container that sort of holds things in so if you imagine uh, a good example is a, a cat litter box which you'd call a mao sha pen and so It's just sort of, you can imagine a container that has like wider sides to it to keep something in. And what it does in Sichuan is it keeps the clouds in uh, because you've got mountains all around. They're certainly a lot taller to the west and north than they are uh, to the south and east. But you've essentially got this basin here and the clouds coming in from the mountain rivers and mountain lakes of the Tibetan Plateau uh, just sort of fall right into the basin and today it is not happening it is a gloriously sunny day so after this podcast i might go and shai taiyang which would mean to bask in the sun so it's a glorious day here and it's also been a great time for mandarin blueprint recently we have been expanding the course as we always are and i was thinking a little bit as i was doing this week's work about one of the things that makes chinese different from other languages and how learning it can help change your thinking so as i've gotten older and known chinese while learning new things i've discovered that my ability to think categorically has gotten better and i think that it's because of the nature of mandarin and using chinese characters as a foundation for the language so What I mean is that if you're looking at any problem, whether it's a problem in business or in relationships or uh, in language learning, sometimes you need to figure out what category of problem is this. And many times a problem could be sorted into many different categories. But what's nice about Chinese is that so much of the language itself is designed almost. I don't know if this is a conscious design, but it's it's designed almost to quickly discover different types of categories, especially when it comes to what we call biased words. And we actually just released an article about biased words this week. And what a biased word is, is essentially a uh, a word that where the final character of the word, usually the second of two characters, but sometimes it could be the third of three characters, is essentially the category. It's what you're talking about in a, in a larger context. And we say the word is biased towards the category. So an example is gen. So obviously people, gen can be a category. And that, there's all sorts of different types of subcategories you could place there. So everything that goes in the first character, uh, whether it's, uh, or the first or second character, for, for example, I could say me guo gen. So that means I'm a person and my subcategory is American. Uh, because I'm from Guo. But then you could also say, you know, there's all sorts of different types of, of people. You could say, 工人, which would just mean a worker, usually an industrial worker. Or you could say, um, uh, you could, I could say, 白人, white person, right? So it's like, there's all sorts of different things you can use to put in front of the category of Zhen, But that's a really simple one. There's a bunch of other ones you could use. Like just the other day, I was thinking about uh, the character du, and this character means degree, and degree, you know, there can be a degree, any number of degrees, I mean, of course, you've got 温度, and 温度 means temperature, like so the degree as it feels in the air, or in, in the water, or whatever, but you could have all sorts of different ones, you could have 高度, which would just mean the degree of height, or the degree of width, and there's all sorts of different things you could do to sort of explain the uh, the differences here. You could say shun to indicate depth, so that and that's just one a few things that came across there. Could you could do time for example nian um, du. So you can say nian to indicate a year, uh, but if you say nian du, it's like you're talking about that particular degree, the degree of time called a nian, which is a year. So Chinese just does this all the time there's so many instances in where you can see okay this is the category that is clearly articulated with a character that is simple it's like it's not even characters that are all that uh complicated or all that rare they're used all the time and so naturally when I'm looking at a problem now I can see well this problem could be broken down into perhaps a time-based category it could be broken down into a uh relationship based category it could be turned into a category of you know is this a especially in business is this really better viewed through the marketing lens or is this better viewed through the uh customer satisfaction lens and how are they related and things like that and before i don't think i would be very good at this type of thinking but since having to work in chinese a lot of the time especially when we're working on our wechat app you have to think this way, and it becomes easier to come up with the state of the problem. And so just a recommendation for those of you who are on the Chinese learning journey, add to your motivational pool that perhaps you'll become better at categorical thinking the longer you spend learning Chinese. So some specific updates. We have been a little bit delayed in posting the new level review review. Um, pictures that are based on breaking down the words that you've learned throughout the Mandarin Blueprint method into their component word types, so, you know, nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs, etc. And the reason is it's that classic thing that will sometimes happen when you're doing a project and you realize, oh, I was doing this project and then I realized actually there were some mistakes in the way that we did it before and, and some changes in how we're thinking about it now. So I've now updated all of the level, level review pictures. I'm going to make them all available for download in every level review lesson. Um, but because I had to change all of them, it took a lot longer than I was expecting, but they're going to be more clearly formatted and also able to download uh, should you wish to at any point. And a little recommendation you could do to, again, p- keep your motivation up, is if you have a printer, every time you get to the level review, print out the uh, progress by word type um, and just post it on your wall or wherever you study. This way you can be constantly aware of it uh, as you're going. And also you'll look at it more. Really, when you get to these level uh, level review lessons, take a look at these pictures and really kind of take a moment to reflect on what you've done. It's very important to see your progress and it can be very helpful in terms of feedback. And we love feedback when it comes to game theoretic sort of understandings of what motivates us. So keep that in mind as you're moving forward. Those should be posted soon. I might even get to it today. It's uh, it's just a big project. And we're also working on these grammar flow charts. And man, this is some stuff that really, we have to use some skull sweat to figure this out. But it's really satisfying because when you're looking at a grammar structure, and you go, okay, well, there's all these different ways you could use this grammar structure, but then there are certain restrictions on how this word you could use in this grammar structure, but if you're going to use it, you want to use it with this extra, uh, you know, ancillary character or something, but this other character or this other word, you can't use that ancillary character. So we're just trying to find ways to visually represent this so that you can learn grammar in a more organic way, but satisfy that curiosity that adults have. I mean, we just... We want to know why, and so this is an attempt to kind of bridge that gap. But as always, as always, it doesn't have to be that way. That curiosity is great, and it can get you motivated, and so it's real. It's important, and we should recognize it. But theoretically, you don't have to satisfy that curiosity to acquire the language. You can actually just keep inputting, just keep inputting comprehensible input, and you will – successfully acquire language all you need to do is understand what you're reading or listening to if you understand it that's all that technically needs to be done but the problem is it doesn't feel like it on a day-to-day basis i mean sometimes when you're in especially like the late beginner moving into intermediate phase it almost feels like you can feel your progress daily because the connections are happening so much faster than they were before and then you kind of hit like a sort of great amazing period with that where it's happening all the time and then as you get more advanced it stops happening quite so often but that's a pretty glorious time but even still day by day hmm, that's pretty tough week by week for sure but day by day it's tough to feel it and so when you learn a grammar structure and you see it in the context of a flow chart and you go yes i know all these characters yes i see this this pattern this is great it feels good and hey that's uh that's important. You don't want your Chinese language learning journey to be this thing where you're just like, well, I guess I'll just be subconsciously progressing and never really truly feel it uh, in, until I'm in sort of a situation where I realize, oh, I use Chinese and I never used it in this situation before. We want you to be able to feel it also when you're studying. So we're working on those, and I think you'll like them a lot. We have a, a few more kinks to work out, but I think we're going to get to a bunch of them pretty soon. So let's move on from our updates and go into some user questions. Just a reminder that this week we released two podcasts. The first of the week was Chad Wrestler's Case Study. And Chad has been on a roll with the Mandarin Blueprint Method. So... Please check out that podcast. This is podcast fourteen. That'll be podcast thirteen. We're going to release them either at the same time or very close to each other. And so, please check that podcast out. Chad had a lot of great stuff to say. He's a a guy who is learning Chinese really just for the sake of interest in the language and interest in the culture. He even said he doesn't even know if he'll ever go to China. He just finds it a really interesting thing. So it's awesome to listen to somebody like that because. Most other people, the vast majority of people who take our course, have a motivation that is you know, maybe somewhat to do with the language itself, but it also has to do with a goal that they have. They have a work-related goal. They have a, um, a relationship they want to uh, improve by learning Chinese or something of that nature. In Chad's case, nope, just about the language and the fascinating nature of it. And of all languages you could learn, it's pretty hard to argue that there's not... I mean, like if you're going to think of interesting things just about the language itself chinese has got to be up there it's probably number 1 in in my opinion about like what uh, what sort of motivation can be provided purely from the language in and of itself and the fascination you could find and all that other stuff about oh you'll get to communicate with you know about a billion people if you learn it well that's kind of a a side benefit the main thing for chat anyway was just to see the language and learn the language and just get to think differently maybe he'll be better at categorical thinking in the future alright so let's go to our first listener question which is from Jay this is from our email he says hello I found your site recently and I'm nearing completion of unit 2 of pronunciation mastery I am finding it absolutely wonderful I love everything you guys are doing and this seems a terrific fit for me I stumbled upon Mandarin Blueprint when casting about looking for home study material to reinforce what I'm learning in a Berlitz class I'm taking. And therein lies my question. So Berlitz is a long time running language learning institution. So uh, if you've never heard of them, you can check them out. Just do a little search on Berlitz. He says, I will finish Pronunciation Mastery. I will sign up for your other courses. However, I'm only about one fourth through the Berlitz class. So, my question for you is, should I wait until I finish my current class, then start in on the rest of Mandarin Blueprint, or could I run both at the same time? As I mentioned, I found you when looking for ancillary study materials because, of course, they don't really have anything. I love your Anki decks for the pronunciation mastery, and I'm familiar with the movie and other memory methods and look forward to that. He's, of course, referring to our memory methods that we use in the Mandarin Blueprint method for character learning and Vocabulary and grammar. Assuming most everyone starts teaching vocabulary in a similar, probably word frequency order, I expect there's going to be considerable overlap. So Mandarin Blueprint can help me with good non-rote memorization of vocab, and as long as I've already paid for them, the other folks can serve as native tutors for my work in Mandarin Blueprint. So he's referring to the teachers at Berlitz could help him as native tutors. Anyway, that's one rosy scenario I could think of, but you may very well know of roadblocks and collisions I don't see. If so, please wave me off for now. Be assured, I will return. 谢谢你, Jay. So, great. I love this type of question because it kind of gets me talking about educational pedagogy and what things should be done and what things shouldn't be done. And so, uh, the first thing I would say is that we are putting our you know best foot forward for what we believe to be the best starting point for Mandarin and, uh, the things that we think you should prioritize early on how to build your foundation. Because when you come, when you're at zero, everything is fog. You don't know anything that you're hearing. You don't know how to articulate any of the sounds, everything that you see. You can't, not only can you not understand, you can't even understand the basic elements of it because you don't know characters yet. It's an absolute fog when you're first starting off and. After you build your foundation, while there's still a lot of details to, to work through, you suddenly have ability to understand people, you can articulate the sounds, you can recognize characters, and even if you don't know all the components and characters, you have a method by which you can go memorize them through the hands movie method, and you have all of these advantages that you don't have before the foundation building, and also if you imagine i always imagine a building you know a, a structure of a building that you've you've of course first dug into the ground and dug into yourself to find the connections that you can that are sort of native the low hanging fruit of what your life experience has been how you can apply that to chinese and then you build up a sort of skeleton of the building right and what that is essentially doing is giving you the most amount of possible connections to the real meat of the language which you'll learn in more of the intermediate to advanced stages but that foundation section is so important and so i can understand jay's concern like am i going to have some kind of roadblocks or collisions that come up as a result of having two separate pedagogies for learning and i don't think so and the reason why is because you can't really overdo an analysis on a character or a focus on a character. I mean, it is what it is. So if Berlitz takes a look at a particular character or a particular pronunciation and they give it their take, well, that's just deepening your knowledge and giving you another lens by which to look at the character. I was just mentioning before about categorical thinking. Well, we're doing our best to categorize everything as, as clearly as we're able to, but we're by no means the only lens by which you can view mandarin so certainly the memory techniques are backed up by loads of science and rote learning is is you know pretty well proven to be not all that effective and not efficacious but what we can say is that as you're moving through the berlitz it will have more of a chance of enforcing what you've learned in the mandarin blueprint method and so as you go through the mandarin blueprint method it is a curriculum and there will be overlap for sure but the things that aren't, you could think of as top-down material. So the things that you learn in Berlitz that are not in the Mandarin Blueprint method, you could see, see that as what they see as being incredibly important for you to learn right away and from a top-down perspective. So they're like, hey, you need to know how to ask where the bathroom is. Don't worry about like building up the the characters to understand how to say this. Just, you know, 此所在哪儿? You just have to be able to say that stuff real, really quickly. And so you'll know just based on that class what they see as important. And, you know, I'm sure that they're not dummies. I'm sure that they're not picking things that have nothing to do with the right path. Now, I think that one of the things that is a problem with using a lot of top-down material is that it quickly degrades into... Uh, personal opinion of the teacher, you know, because there's some things that are pretty universal, but it starts to get a little bit like, oh, it's just the teacher finds this t- subject interesting, so they're they're focusing on that, and then of course they sometimes fall back on textbooks. So the more I- intermediate and advanced you get with the materials, the more subjective and sometimes cu- quite annoying it can get because you're like, well, why am I focusing on this as opposed to that? But when you're talking about basics, uh, the things that you need are just foundational language stuff. Getting top down material is really quite helpful. And of course, Mandarin Blueprint is a bottom-up mostly approach to learning Chinese. We're saying, hey, start from the basic components and then learn your basic components and build them into characters. Okay, you have those basic characters now. Well, you're going to keep learning components. You're going to keep building characters. But now you can take those simple characters and put them together into high-frequency words. And that's great. So now you've got the components building into characters, building into words, and then those words. Guess what? Now you've got enough of them so that you can put them into three-character, four-character, five-character sentences. And now you can understand all the characters inside. So you're building it bottom-up and starting to get a feel for grammar. Oh, wait, you've seen a bunch of sentences now. You can handle even like... 10, 11, 13 character sentences. Well, how about we put them in a paragraph and we build it up that way? So it's very bottom-up. And sure, we'll throw in some top-down words every now and then. We'll say, okay, you haven't seen this word yet, but we're going to throw it into that sentence or we're going to throw it into that paragraph or into that story. But generally speaking, we're a bottom-up course. So if you have Berlitz, you're looking at it from a top-down perspective more often, and you need that. You need that sometimes. And of course, the native teacher helping you out with your pronunciation and making sure that you're following the right path i mean that's obviously uh very valuable so hopefully that's helpful a little small note here um just be and it's funny this is the type of thing that can feel like a uh, an unnecessary criticism but it's actually that's actually more something that is a really common mistake that foreigners make when uh addressing people in chinese which is that they'll say he ended this by saying ni but, of course, he was sending the letter to both Luke and I. So really what he should say is 谢谢你们, because there's two of us, and so it's plural. 你好, or 谢谢你, are both addressing one individual. It's singular. So in Chinese, you add "men" after people or, or animals that uh, are plural. And so because there's Luke and I, it would be 谢谢你们. And so just bear that in mind, you know, that's something that is very easy to, now it's like, because I've gotten so used to it, it goes against my intuition to say ni hao to a group of people. But um, it's a very common thing that foreigners will do. And so just be aware of that. If you're addressing any more than one person, you're going to have to throw that "mun" in there. All right. So let's go to the next set of questions here. Now, every week what we do is we focus on this one aspect of our course two aspects really that are the casting calls and the pick a prop lessons so as a reminder for those of you who are new to the podcast a casting call is a lesson where you choose a person to represent a pinion initial so an initial sound of the language and that could be something like b so this character is pronounced ban so the initial sound is b you need that to need a person to represent that you know brad pitt bill murray somebody of that nature somebody you knew from childhood named brian these are the types of things that you can pick so that when you imagine any scene in the future any character that has a b right at the beginning you imagine that person and they become your a part of your memory palace toolbox and so That's what the casting call lessons are, and then the pick-a-prop lessons are where you choose a 3D object, which we're much better at remembering than just flat writing on a page, a 3D object that represents a character component. So essentially you're just saying, okay, every time this character component comes up again, I'm going to imagine a sword, or I'm going to imagine a camera, or I'm going to imagine a huge dangling chandelier something of that nature and whenever you have those choices they will be consistent throughout the method and so first we'll talk about some suggestions that people gave for the casting calls now we luke and i give a lot of suggestions in the lessons but in the comments people will write suggestions they had that uh apply just to their personal life or somebody that they have thought of to represent this particular opinion initial or character component so first we'll talk about two casting calls so uh, we had chat again giving uh, the representation of Z-H-U, two, which here's an example of one you could do for that, the Joker from Batman, because DU has that Z-H sound. It's got the OO sound, and every sound that has an OO, we say pick a fictional character for that. That way you can distinguish between the OO sounds, the E sounds, and the U sounds. And so we recommend the Joker because Joker, even though it starts with J and it's not Z-H, they sound similar. Zhu Joker. You know, you got the J sound there. Now, he picked Jin Yichuan. I don't know if that's the correct tones because he just wrote the pinyin here, but that's a uh, character from Brotherhood of Blades. So Brotherhood of Blades is a very, very popular movie here in China. And uh, so that's a fictional character within that movie. And so because Chad's a huge fan of... The Kung Fu movies and Chinese movies in general, he'll pick actors like that. And then next one we had on the casting call for He, which means uh, that's the character that means wheat or uh, standing grain. Uh, But of course, it's the first time we use the H as a uh, male actor. Uh, We had a suggestion of Hu Jintao, the Chinese uh, president before the current one, and uh, that's okay. So long as for the U category, you did not choose world leaders. So the four categories are male, female, fictional characters, and, uh, world leaders or gods and, or something else. It could be a wild card as well. If you, cause there's only six. So if you can imagine six things, six people that are in a category, you could just to- use that for the, U, but, um, as long as you didn't pick world leaders for the uh, for the U section, then Hu Jintao is great because he, of course, is a recognizable face for anybody who has studied Chinese political history. Now, next uh, we have three pick a prop suggestions. So, Julia Melnick on character number six, Ban. So, in this character, it means half. It means it's a it's actually a um, an ideograph of uh, half. And so kind of expressing an idea within the particular character. So if you look at the show notes, you can see this. And uh, she said, a split heart will represent this component. And sure. So maybe maybe Julia has some experience in, uh, in either surgery or she knows uh, a little bit about, you know, sort of human anatomy and has studied that and studied the heart. And so a split heart might work perfectly for her. Bisected. It's a, a ban, you know. Uh, okay, now Ryan Smith on character 132, which is boo. this character means uh, sort of no or cannot. And so I can see how he, he said, I ended up going with a TSA agent. And I thought that that was interesting because, uh, you know, of course, they're going to tell you all the things that you can't do or take on the plane. And so I can see how that would be, because they're in their nature, they're a bit restrictive in what they allow you to do. I can see how that could make sense. And then Sydney Green on character two fifty yen. First of all, doing a great job. Sydney already on character two fifty. That's awesome. I picked a large copy of the book *The Oxford Companion to English Literature*, which is a great choice because "yen" means literature or language. The the word "yu yen" "yu yen" that means language uh, in Chinese. So "yen" is going to be used all the time. And so. Uh, his suggestion of the Oxford Companion to English Literature, sure, that's a great prop that represents that meaning. And so you get the idea that all the props are a 3D object representation of the meaning, and the meaning is not unique to Chinese. Chinese doesn't have a monopoly on meaning, so you can just come up with your own associations. And so you have associations to faces, you have associations to objects. It's great. It's very, very helpful. Next, we have a question from... Samuel Thomas on the unit one wrap up video, Samuel asks, love this throat mouth contrast explanation. So useful. A lot of this could probably be taught in reverse when getting Chinese speakers to speak English. So yeah, so he's referring to what I've mentioned before, and you can even hear it in my English voice now that I speak in a rather throaty way, maybe even more so than the average English speaker. But still, there are three major cavities that we use when we're speaking any kind of language, the throat cavity, the mouth cavity, and the nasal cavity. And so I discovered when I was thinking about what it takes to pronounce Chinese correctly and, and just really closely listening to the uh, Chinese speakers around me and on, you know, good radio broadcasts, that's a great way to hear, you know, really articulated Mandarin. And uh, I noticed it's like, it seems that they're not speaking in as much of a throaty way. And it, they're not speaking in a super nasally way. There are nasal finals in Chinese, but they aren't that intense. You know, you've got like ang or an, and there's a little bit of reverberation in the nasal cavity, but it's not major. So that leaves the mouth cavity. And so I was like, all right, process of elimination. So let me think about this. And so you can you could tell while I was saying speaking in Chinese there that my throatiness went away quite a bit. I mean it's not completely gone. There's still some I mean your vocal cords are right next to your throat cavity, so there's no way to completely avoid it. But I notice that if I just pay attention to that and I just go, okay, where is the sound really reverberating? You know, that's when I will see the real difference there. Okay, next. Uh, Samuel, oh, and by the way, he says that thing about uh, moving from uh, teaching Chinese speakers to do this in reverse for English. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And it's just the only reason I wanted to comment on that is that it's kind of a little cultural anecdote here. So when I tell people, in China that I'm a Chinese teacher they often go well, why don't but you could you could teach English and uh, That's one of the responses. I mean usually it's like, you know, oh really like well, you're well, wouldn't a Chinese teacher do that And I explain to them. Well, you know a lot of times foreigners need uh, somebody who Can tell them in a language they understand the pitfalls to avoid and then they almost immediately go like oh well Okay, sure that makes sense and then I tell them about our character learning method and they're like Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea so but then sometimes they'll go but, but why don't you just teach English And I always find it funny because I'm like, well, because I don't find it interesting. (laughs) I don't think that it's nearly as as fun or engaging. Um, And the reason why this is a bit of a cultural anecdote is I think that there is a little bit more of a sense of you choose your profession based on what it is that is not necessarily easiest, but what is going to guarantee you, you know, an income and the ability to, you know, save up to buy a car, or save up to buy a house. And, you know, it's a little bit less about what you want as a, um, sort of free individual. And like, you're going to go follow your dreams. And I, uh, it's really interesting to live in a culture like that because it does remind you that while there is a lot of truth to the idea of, you know, follow your bliss, uh, there's a lot of people in my country who, uh, they followed their bliss and don't have a job now because they 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 just decide to study something that doesn't really have a market demand and so um obviously you want to ideally find the thing that is got a market demand while also being something you really enjoy but it's um you know i do have a, a healthy respect for the fact that in china they're like well look you know you want to be sure that there's something you're going to be able to use this skill for and so when they hear that they go well you but you could be an english teacher you came here you could do that and so i'm like yeah but it doesn't really have anything to do with what i want to do and it's it's funny because they're not even really it doesn't really necessarily occur to them that that it would be the issue uh so that's kind of interesting i thought that was an interesting anecdote so next we have a scene from ryan smith from the character 133 hi which means still as in i'm still doing something and He's making a movie. This is the first movie. We'll have a few in this uh, podcast, but movies are just putting your props representing the character components with the actor representing the pinion initial in a place representing the pinion final. We'll call that a set and in a room in the set representing the pinion tone. And then you just have them once they're in that spot, which is all just a formula. You just get them in that spot. Then you just have them interact in some way to create the scene. And so you need a connection to the keyword. So still, still doing something. Well, there's a few possible connections, but his set is his current apartment, and it's because it's right beside the train tracks. And train has AI right as the main vowels in it, and um, it's the final of the character hi AI. And then you've got the props is a TSA agent representing the boo top part which is, uh, again, we talked about earlier, maybe it's because they're restrictive in what they allow you to do, and poo means, like, no, or you can't. And then the bottom part of this character is the road component. And so you can imagine an actual road running through your apartment and just scaled to the size that makes it make sense. And so uh, the keyword connection for Ryan is an alcohol still and, quote-unquote, still-waiting action. So I'm still waiting for something like, you know, I can't even imagine somebody kind of just, oh, I'm still I'm still waiting. I, I don't know. Having their arms up in a kind of like, I can't, I've, I'm surprised I still have to wait for something. Now, let's see here. So he says, the TSA agent is in my apartment and finds suddenly that he needs an alcohol swab to clean up a scrape he got in the line of duty. Humor is good, he says. He can't find anything but beer, so he throws it in a pot on the stove with a small still attached to the top. Now, I've never seen an alcohol still, but I imagine it's something that can sort of get the pure alcohol out of something. The small still is attached to the top and starts waiting on the beer to boil so he can collect the pure alcohol uh, in the top of the still. Now, there's a time lapse as he keeps waiting and waiting and waiting. Still waiting after a long time, a road appears through the apartment, and my H actor comes running through the wall of the apartment down the road, a la the Looney Tunes Roadrunner, stops by the TSA agent in front of the road, and then he then reaches over and turns the stove on before running back off down the road. So (laughs) I like this scene because, of course, still is an abstract concept, and he does one one technique, which is to uh, concretize it by making an alcohol still. Now, I hadn't heard of this before, but that's a perfectly reasonable uh, technique for connecting to the keyword. Now, the second thing that he does is he creates a time-lapse. And this is sort of a time-lapse or a montage are things where, you you know, it's not hard for you to imagine. We've all seen time-lapses in videos where they'll show, like, the clouds going across the sky really quickly or a plant growing quite fast. And you can sort of generally imagine that if you kept a uh, a camera on a certain location all day, and then did a time lapse. You'd see all the little things that happen during the day, in a, you know, whether it's dust moving through the air, a bug, or whatever, and uh, or a guy sitting by a still and like, occasionally checking his watch and just watching it, and waiting, waiting. And he's still waiting, and of course, it's funny that the it just turns out that he didn't even put the burner on. And so, the only you know mild maybe confusion that could happen here is that there is a clear um, object of a beer uh and the beer is not specifically related to the uh it's not a prop right and i mean it kind of relates to the creating the alcohol in the alcohol still but that's a potential point of confusion in the future you might think that the beer was one of the props when it's not it's actually just a thing that now of course you could say uh, depending on your situation <laughs> that maybe it's just a fixture of your apartment uh so that's that's another thing that's possible but uh so that's the tsa agent uh on the road using the alcohol still to wait still for a long time and create the character hi so that's great next scene oh no this isn't sorry this is not a scene this is a uh, uh a comment from julia melnick who has just started the course recently and I just thought this was a great comment because I, it was actually something that never occurred to me. So she, this is on the character Tong, which is character number eight, and it's just two people, right? And it has two general meanings. It, one is from, and the other is kind of to follow, but really more often it's from, like you know, uh, where where did you come from? Where where are you going? That type of that from. And so she says it is obvious. This is the idea of birth one person comes from another the ancestor gets smaller and steps back into the background Th- there is a slight sort of look of the first gen because two people Zhen, gen. you know um there is a slight look of the one like it's stepping back a little bit uh and then she says uh giving space to the descendant so the descendant comes forward and gets bigger yes i know that it is not strictly the movie method but very often i can't help these associations which come from what i see again from i think that this is why it takes me longer time to get my brain used to the new method of creating associations because at previous i got used to see associations inside the characters themselves because i didn't know about the movie method now i enjoy the fun of this method but sometimes i still have to remind myself that we actually make a movie like Do not see two women side by side, one giving birth to another, see an actor with props at some space doing something to create meaning. And so there's a few things that could be said about this. So first of all, I've been studying Chinese for over five years and I never thought of that. And so it's kind of funny that, you know, there's sometimes the most obvious association. And of course she's right. It is, it is obvious. I don't know why i didn't think of it i just saw two people and i was like i did used to think of it as like it's one person following another and so you know sort of a more abstract idea of like it's where they're you know i'm coming from where they came from so i'm following them and yeah that's what i thought of it like that but of course yeah one human comes from another human duh like it's sort of, so that's funny to me and then she says um you know, the, the, one of the reasons to do the movie method still is that there's nothing about those two characters in, or those two components in tong that tells you for sure that this is pronounced tong. So the reason to still have, say, Christopher Walken in the kitchen of the place where you learned how to play ping pong um, is that you'll remember the pronunciation is second tone, it's O-N-G, and it starts with C. So that's one of the reasons. But Uh, You know, there's definitely flexibility within this um, method. Uh, Well, here's the thing you could do. A lot of times we have uh, the idea of umbrella being the prop for this character, but it could be other things. But suppose it's umbrella. Well, you could have one umbrella somehow giving birth to another umbrella that'd be kind of uh, interesting to imagine (laughs) and so you know that could be the thing that allows for that same association to be applied to the props so you can imagine that uh the one person comes from another person is her keyword connection so great she's got a keyword connection that means that she can uh use that to be something that influences the scene and so you know once you have a keyword connection you're like this is what still means to me this is what from means to me then putting the actor prop and sets and set and room together it's like it almost writes itself the the scene because you've you've already know what it wants to end with so in classic Quentin Tarantino style you're starting with the ending and then you just let the other sort of elements naturally fill in what should happen okay cool next We have Samuel Thomas on a simple final E, the introduction here. Now, this comment is going to be useful to some people, but I'm not going to try to pronounce anything from it because it's uh, relating French to Chinese, and uh, I don't speak French. So he says, if you are a good French speaker, a good tip is to say the OU in V-O-U-S, but don't round your lips. It is often a diphthong as well, I believe. So... It's like the O U in V O U S plus the O in M O T in French, O U and O, but the, with the lips unrounded. So I'm not going to try to pronounce any of that, but I can tell you that the simple final E is probably the hardest simple final, and it's uh, you have your you know side of your cheeks relaxed, and you don't really move your lips, and you kind of, uh. so you got the uh, in like as in you say put. And then you have the uh, uh, which makes it a diphthong, the two sounds, the uh, uh. They're pretty clear dip differences there. And a lot of foreigners will want to move their lips. You don't need to. Uh, uh. And so that's how you pronounce that. I suppose there must be a relationship to V O U S or the O and M O T in French. I'm not going to try to pronounce them because I don't know how to pronounce them, but uh, that's great. I, I really appreciate when. Um, people in the course will give that type that type of advice because we have plenty of non-native English speakers who have nonetheless mastered English uh, taking this course because, you know, of course, our explanations are all in English. But that's great. Thank you, Samuel. Appreciate that. Now, next, we have a question from Sydney Green on character 248, fa, it's a word. And so this character fa means to send or to send out. And so... Um, it's used in a lot of different contexts, but uh, one of them is if you just say um, "发消息" or uh, "发短信," that means to send a text message. So it's kind of got that element of send, and it's sending for things that aren't people. If you're going to send a person, you'll use the character the character "派," Pai. So "派人" or uh, "派快递员," which means uh, send the um the 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 shipping guy the shipping I, I, my english is terrible now i'm like and i know exactly what that is <laughs> the guy who delivers packages the package deliverer um <laughs> but anyway so that if you're using a person you'll say pi. but if you're talking about like sending out something that's not a person you'll use fa and one of the sentences is which means what time does the train leave it leaves at 1 15 right so he says where is the train here because it just says but of course train is if you're going to learn the uh the word for train there's all sorts of different um uh te, which are basically a vehicle and the specific train is so fire vehicle you can understand the etymology of that of course there used to be um, when they were coal-burning trains or steam trains, there was, of course, a lot of fire involved in uh, making them run. And so he's like, well, where's the, where's the train here? It doesn't say tu,' it just says tu.' And so the answer to that is that is a great word in Chinese because it's largely contextual. If you're uh, – just and it's really more accurate to say that it means vehicle. If you're going to talk about a car, that's a – Tua, which means like vapor car, vapor vehicle. So it's like kind of um, you know, it runs on on gas and and kind of has the the tailpipe and all that so that they call that a zhīchū and um but chū, think of chū like I was talking about with categorical thinking before as the catch-all character for vehicles. And so as a result, it's contextual. So clearly these people are in a train station or they're talking about they, they know that the context is they're talking about trains, so they don't need to add in the 火车, they can leave out the hu because it's clear. Now, if they were in a bus station, they could also say 发车, and they would know that they're referring to a bus and not a train. So it's just a contextual understanding there, that, that, how that works. Okay, so next we have Julia Melnick introducing a scene that she has for character number six, and this is early so I'm I haven't read this yet so I'm curious if the how she's picking up on the uh, method at this point because it's only character 6 it's it's the first character in level 2 so we'll see what she comes up with so looks like she's picked Bruce Lee to be her representative of B and she has her set as a the bathroom of a double room and the of the and hotel in Istanbul because uh, and and a n have a, a shared letters and the bathroom represents fourth tone. So we have Bruce Lee in the bathroom of the and hotel. That's your pronunciation done and dusted. All right. So the let's there are three um props here. We have uh we have the horns, we have the crucifix and we have a razor blade. Now let's see. He's looking for so Bruce Lee is looking for a piece of soap to wash, but for some reason the chambermaid left only one piece of soap on the shelf. Bruce decides to split it in half so Chuck Norris also could have his piece of soap to wash. So Bruce takes out a huge knife and cuts the soap together with the shelf. Shards of glass and soap. Fly- oh, he so he cuts the soap and the shelf. Okay, shards of glass and soap flying fly up. Shards in slow motion, Bruce's knife leaves the shiny trace in the air, so you have half. In spite of that, the sign means horns. I decide to use shards of glass instead of horns because it works better for me. And in general, when you split something in half, there are some crumbs very often, or drops of juice if it, if it is, say, an orange. But I can think of horns if I see a cow from the air, so it's spine divides into symmetric parts where the horizontal lines are shoulder blades and sacrum and in that case we draw horns shoulder blades sacrum and the spine so uh there's a couple things to say about this and so i see where she's going with things one thing is that she has chuck norris in the scene now chuck norris is a representation of the left side component of Gen, which is in a lot of characters but it's not one of the components here now maybe she's saying that chuck norris is related to uh the bruce lee because they had a a famous uh fight scene and so she's relating him to bruce lee the actor which is technically okay but the fact that we use chuck norris so much as a prop um means that there could create some confusion and the shard of glass thing though that's fine because you can imagine the shards looking like the horns in Ben. i can just imagine that instead of it being horns you just have the, shard, uh, the the glass shards sort of look kind of like that and then that would be fine uh, now I suppose the sword is the representation of the uh, instead of using a stick like we normally suggest for the vertical line she could use a sword uh, or perhaps she's using the sword representing the horizontal line instead of a razor blade uh, I'm not sure she didn't delineate but so the or the huge knife I should say it's not a sword it's a huge knife And then – so the cutting the soap in half, I mean the soap is also another object that I'm not sure – it's like it's not very clear why that should be the thing that's cut in half. So what I would say as a result of this scene is to – Try to remember that if you introduce new objects that aren't directly related to the scene, you run the risk of confusing yourself in the future. It might not confuse you now, and it might not even confuse you next week. But when you go back to trying to remember this, because it's like you'll also probably not remember the, or not forget the uh, first set of characters because they're kind of like your first introduction to Chinese. So you're you're getting uh, you know sort of um, excited about like what you're learning here. But imagine yourself a character. 500. You know, the 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 characters are going to start to blend together if you don't have very clear scenes that show distinct and unique 3D objects that don't change. So the soap doesn't really have a representation. It's just kind of a random object that gets cut in half. Now, I see how it can be related to the script, but it's, it gets a bit confusing. So I think that what you should do, Julia, is just keep going through these scenes and just make sure that your actor is clear, that your props are are what are the representation of the character components, and not to add in anything else, anything extra. Uh, So overall, though, I like the scene. I like the creativity within the scene. And so just, yeah, that's my advice. Just keep the objects the same every time and don't add in foreign objects that are unrelated to the props. All right, next We have Sydney Green on 249, character 249, Leo, which means uh, number six. And that, he says, uh, pick a prop here. Now, this is a pick a prop lesson that comes just before you learn the character. And so he says, I'm a bit confused here with the prop for Leo. Shouldn't the illustration just represent the top half of the character? In In the movie to follow, you use the prop for the bottom half, animal legs. So, um... I think just Sydney got a little bit confused here about how the props work. So the the pick a prop lesson before that scene is just for picking the top part of Leo, which kind of looks like a little dot with a horizontal line. and we recommend making that a hat of some sort of top hat, perhaps. And it's because you can kind of imagine it looking like a top hat. It also always goes on the top. So, of, of characters and there's a load of characters that use this particular component and then the other component in Leo in Leo is actually the number four eight ba which also looks like a pair of stubby legs so you can imagine animal legs of some sort and so that was actually learned way back in uh level three or four or something like that and so it's just a combination of this new prop of top hat with this prop you learned in the past, and then you want to come up with some association to the number six. And so that's what that's about there. It's an easy confusion to, to make sometimes because there's not that many times in the order where we introduce a prop before the movie scene. All right, next we have a question from Julia Melnick on character number 10, "ru," which means to enter. Her question is, I didn't get this quite well. What place should be the sound representing of you, U, U? You mean that in this case, u is not a final, so there's no final in this word, correct? Yeah, so in the Hanzi movie method, and I'll link to the um, the article about this below, but our pinyin chart is a bit different from the original pinyin chart to allow for there to be more uh, actors and fewer sets, so more pinyin initials and fewer pinyin finals, because we're better at remembering a lot of faces than we are remembering a lot of f- places. You know, you can remember 13 places, which is the current requirement of the Henza movie method, fairly easily. Places you've lived, schools, apartments, um workplaces, uh parks, whatever. There's loads of places you could imagine that so that 13 is not too much. But the original pinion chart has 36 finals. Remembering 36 places starts to get tenuous. I mean, you get around place number 20 and you're like, "Uh, I don't know, the department store I went to with my mom sometimes. Like it starts to get like, you can't really remember that many places. And so this is a problem. And so we decided, okay, well, the way you can do this is to make four different categories of actors to distinguish between the different sounds uh, that we'll now call initials. So the detailed explanation of this is in the article I'll link to in the show notes. Um, but just as effectively speaking, the... Consonant sounds with no extra vowel are males. The, uh, consonant sounds with an added I pronounced E, those will be female actors, real people, male, real people, female, real people. And then if there is the sound, u, then it will be a fictional actor. And if it's, Ooh, it's kind of a wild card category because there's only six, you could pick six things, uh, that you find to be of an equal category but we we recommend world leaders or gods as a sort of uh suggestion but by doing that we essentially say okay well now r u or w u or gu any of these are now considered initials so RU doesn't have a final according to this method. And so if it doesn't have a final, it takes place in your childhood home. So that's how that works. It's uh, just meant to make it so that you can remember more faces and fewer places because we're a bit better at remembering lots and lots of faces. I mean, if you think about all the celebrities that you'll find recognizable, it will make it very clear that we can remember way more than the 55 actors that you need for uh, the Henza movie method. All right, final question of today. Ryan Smith on character 136, M, make a movie. So even though this is a pretty simple character, it uh, it is quite simple to draw. It's just a, a sort of a samurai sword and an elbow. So it's just uh, one, two, three strokes. It's quite simple. Um, but he says, even though this is a pretty simple character and doesn't need overly much thought to remember, the keyword of suffix is still amazingly abstract. So I just imagined a simple scene involving the uh, tag along, Girl Scout cookies. So sure, yeah. A suffix will always tag along uh, in a um, on a word, and so this is a good option there. the girl The Girl Scout cookies for called tag along. So if you've ever eaten those, maybe you can use those as your association. And this is a pretty simple character, and it's going to be used in the most common question words, shema uh, and zema which uh, so like those those are what and how so you're going to remember this character no problem anyway which is part of the reason like we were like this doesn't this character doesn't really have a meaning on its own it just is used as a suffix sometimes and it's it's used in other um, words as well but it's so simple and it's so easy to pronounce and it's so you know so we thought all right well it's not that important if you don't even do a movie scene for this one you're not going to really struggle with it to be honest all right so that is everything for this week. Remember with Mandarin blueprint, you can always, always check us out at mandarinblueprint.com. We have a free trial of the Mandarin blueprint method, the first 80 plus video lessons. So it's free, no credit card information required. The pronunciation mastery is a full, you know, course that is, you know, we have, we have people saying to us all the time, you should be charging for this, but we, we don't, it's free. So check it out improve your pronunciation. It's one of the best ways to start learning Chinese. And if you already have been learning Chinese for a while, I mean, get to it because it's going to improve your weaknesses, just like I did when I learned a lot from Luke about how to pronounce many of these different uh, sounds correctly. I had a bunch of misconceptions. I was able to fix it. And so check it out. It's free. I mean, it's got 180 video lessons. Uh, There's 80 plus PDFs, a thousand Anki cards, free. So check it out. And we'll see you next week. I'm Phil Crimmins, and thanks for tuning in.